Hello, language lovers, and welcome to episode two of season two of my show, Life in a Second Language, with me, as I said before, your host, Spring Day. On this show, I talk to creative people from all over the world about living, working, loving, studying, loving. Yeah, I know I said loving twice. Stick with me. Even raising a family in a second language. Sometimes we use a lot of adult language, so this podcast may not always be appropriate for young ears. Just saying. Now, if you speak two or more languages, hopefully you can relate to what we get into. Or if you are thinking about dabbling in a foreign language for the very first time in your entire life, we can give you a hint as to what you may or may not be in for and let you know of some opportunities you didn't even know existed. In terms of my own second language study, I'm back in the saddle again, sort of. I've got my flashcards, I've got my markers, and the fumes are starting to give me a buzz. In the past, I've had a tendency to put a lot of pressure on myself to memorize a bunch of random Japanese words in a ridiculously short amount of time. And that never helps. All that ever seems to do is make me sound like my dad installing Zoom on the computer. I'm glad we're doing this now and not on the wedding day. Huh? I'm glad we're doing I, it. It says, I, you know, it said to push this button so it could reset the password. I pushed it, and then it froze, and it wouldn't do shit. So just a minute, see if I can get it. Re- it's restarting. I had to get in the password thing that was on there. It wouldn't go away. So I had to restart it and get it off. Stupid. It's always some dumb fuck up thing. Getting windows ready. Don't turn off. Fuck you. Turn it off. God damn it. This, if they just leave shit alone, because I know that's that's my fucking password. Asshole. Stupid son of a bitch. Now how long is this going to fucking take? Getting windows ready. Don't turn off your computer. Kiss my fucking ass. Jesus Christ. What's wrong with these fuckers? Man, I will never ever get tired of listening to that. I'm taking my own sweet time getting back into the language learning thing. Technically, I'm still on my homey moon, after all. And language learning is supposed to be a marathon, not a tough mutter. By that I mean foreign language learning is supposed to be a challenge, but there's no need to go out of your way to be a prick about it. Today's guest is Nigerian comedian in the UK, Benjamin Bello. You may know him better as his onstage persona, President Obonjo. His is a fascinating story. We talk about the four main languages of Nigeria, his experience growing up in both Nigeria and the UK, why he speaks Yoruba more in the UK than he ever did in Nigeria, and third culture kid experience. President Obonjo is a delight to watch, and you should check him out. You can check him out on his website, presidentobonjo.co.uk. You can follow him on Twitter at RealObonjo, that's O-B-O-N-J-O. And on Instagram, he is at Obonjo, O-B-O-N-J-O. Please check him out. He is 
hilarious. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. And now it's time for our interview with Benjamin Bello, a.k.a. President Obonjo. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, who is UK comedian Benjamin Bello. You may know him better on stage and online as President Obonjo. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. What is your native language and what other languages do you speak? Okay, my native language is Yoruba, mm -hmm. which is a language spoken in the western part of Nigeria. And then there are, uh, what other languages do I speak? Obviously, I speak English and I wouldn't call it a language, but it's more form of a broken English. I speak Patwa. Uh, not Patwa, bro, um, Pigeon English. Pigeon English. Pigeon English. And who do you speak Pigeon English with? I then tend to speak Pidgin English with uh, Nigerians. You wouldn't understand me if I speak Pidgin English. <laughs> <laughs> but you use it in the UK with other Nigerians. Yeah, yeah, I use it in the UK with other Nigerians. So there are three major languages. There's Yoruba, there's Aousa, and there's Igbo. The Yoruba one is based for those who are based in the western part of Nigeria. Igbo, eastern part of Nigeria and Aousa, northern part of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So those are the three main languages, but there are several other languages which have been spoken mm -hmm. uh, that cover the whole of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are they related in a way, like for example, Portuguese speakers can listen to Spanish speakers and understand what they're saying, even if they can't speak Spanish. Is it similar? Definitely. Can you listen to Igbo or Aousa and kind of understand what they're talking about, even if you don't speak it? Uh, you can if you're based in that particular region. Mm -hmm. So if you're based in the western part of Nigeria, because the western part of Nigeria is is massive. It's got several states. So you can understand Yoruba if you're based in that environment, if you were brought up in that environment and you speak it. Mm -hmm. The same would apply um, in the north. The same would apply for those based in the eastern part of Nigeria. And the same applies in the south. So they're similar in terms of the locality. And, and the region that is based. What I think at times is a challenge is unless that person was raised to speak Yoruba, you can't expect someone who's from the north to yeah. speak um, to understand when you speak Yoruba because it's a different, you know, a different language. That's why Pigeon English seems to be. I never used to speak it when I was in Nigeria, but it's almost like an official language now because Pigeon mm -hmm. is the way that you communicate with other tribes or mm -hmm. other places. So. Mm -hmm. you, you now, if you don't understand Aousa, that's not a problem, but there's every likelihood that an Aousa person can speak Pigeon. So it's like the lingua franca of Nigeria. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's why I said, yeah, that's why it's like Patwa, like the Jamaicans call it Patwa, yeah. And what did you speak at home? Uh, I spoke, we spoke English at home. Uh, I only started speaking Yoruba when I came here in the mm -hmm. 80s, and I only started speaking Pigeon English when I came here. You only started speaking Yoruba in the UK? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. There sounds, sounds like there's a story behind that. Yeah, there is probably a story behind that. Probably a story of, um, a story of freedom. <laughs> a story of being away from my parents. Yeah. When you speak Yoruba or Pidgin English in, in the UK, do you feel like you have more privacy to have your conversation, say, like on the train or in public or something like that? Well, that's really interesting. I just say what I have to say if it's in public or in private, but I've never really given it any thought whether I feel that, if anything, it's really interesting that when other people speak their languages on the train, I'm curious to find out where they're from. So I think it's a way of educating people. I remember speaking to someone in Yoruba 
And before I knew what happened, there was a white person who started speaking Yoruba. And it was just really, really interesting to hear them speak. And really fascinating story that they spent some time in Nigeria. And that's how they picked up the language. Yeah. So they interrupted your conversation. It was like, yeah, hey, yeah. I speak Yoruba too. I speak Yoruba too. I wanted to tell me about my country. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Did they teach you anything about your country that you didn't know? I think what was really interesting was the fact that I wasn't exposed to the fact that there were people, foreigners who came to the country and who really appreciated the language and the culture, the language and the culture. That was just really an interesting thing. I didn't pick that up when I was in Nigeria. It's only when I came to the UK that I realized that there were people who actually not only liked the lock, the culture, wanted to behave like Nigeria. You understood Yoruba, of course, in Nigeria. You learned it in Nigeria, but you feel like you used it more once you moved to the UK. Yes. And was your schooling, was that also all in English as well? Yes, it was all in English. I went to um, almost the equivalent of, um, it was a state school, but almost as good as a public school. What's really interesting was they, because obviously Nigeria was colonized by the British. Right. And so they thought they kept most of the English culture in terms of almost it almost very similar to Eton. You know, we had a school anthem, we had um, boarding school anthems, we spoke English, you know, we, we learned had uniforms. English. Yeah, uniforms and all that stuff. So it was um, yeah, it was definitely is there an expression in Yoruba that doesn't that you like but doesn't really translate well into English? Um, I wouldn't say it doesn't translate. I think what was really interesting is when I came here <laughs> in the early 80s, because, you know, just like any other um, foreigner who arrives here, you, you have your own way of saying things. You have your own slangs and, and there are certain things that, you will, that you've picked up whilst in Nigeria that when you're delivering, for example, I remember when I was at school and I was told to deliver a speech and I was delivering a speech and then I just totally forgot myself. And there's something Nigerians normally say, oh, after a sentence, it's called mm-hmm. oh, is like um, the Cockney saying, um, I don't know, in it. They don't, they don't use those words anymore. And I said, oh, and the teacher just said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> but the Nigerians in the class understood what that actually meant. They knew. Was it like a know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if, you're, if you're trying to explain a point and you have to emphasize it, that basically, yeah. Exactly. And that happened at uni? That happened at uni. And it was just really interesting how the teacher responded. She was quite, um, she was quite shocked. But at the same time, I just thought, wow, this is, this is a uni that's predominantly... Um, you've got lots of black people, so I'm surprised that you're not used to this <laughs> slang. <laughs> and so she reminded me, me of, of when I was growing up at home and my parents would, for example, I tried, I tried speaking Pidgin English when I was at home because Pidgin English was something that was affiliated to, uh, you might know him, uh, the late um, Afrobeat uh, fella Anikula Koputi. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he was a, you know, a revolutionary musician, you know, social conscious. And uh, he, he sang in Pidgin English. And my father in particular always felt that if you weren't speaking English, that you were uneducated, that you were an illiterate, and that you were not prepared for society. Uh, and, the, you know, so he always looked down on people who couldn't speak very good English. But I, I just found it really fascinating that there was another language out there, or there was whatever you want to call it, out there that I wasn't speaking, but my mates were speaking. I wanted to learn it. So your parents were quite strict about what kind of language yeah, you could they, use. Yeah, 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 definitely. They were quite strict. And, and I, at one point, I, when I was growing up, I just thought, wow, one of my uh, greatest regrets is the fact that the Yoruba language, I can speak it, but I can't write it. 
Was that something that was taught in school or did you have uh, to take an elective? There, there, were, there were schools that actually taught Yoruba. I'm sure that my secondary school, there wasn't an option to learn Yoruba. But and that was what was ridiculous about it. You didn't learn Yoruba, but you could learn English literature. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that was a conscious choice of the school? That, that was a conscious choice of, of what was inherited by the colonial government. That was what was inherited. What was inherited is that they'll have schools that behave like Eton, that behave like um, Cambridge, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, it has its advantages and disadvantages. The fact that you you end up questioning why you can't write a certain language or why weren't you thought Yoruba history or how come an English person appreciates your language more than you do, if that makes sense, you know, you know, just, yeah, exactly. I'm very interested in how like language shapes a person because each language has its own kind of history and, and some ideas are more easily accessible and easier to express in a certain language. How do you feel Yoruba influenced you or, or influenced your personality in any way? I certainly, um, what actually happened was the fact that when I arrived in the UK, I met a number of Nigerians that I wouldn't necessarily meet when I was in Nigeria. Right. And this is not being snobbish or anything. It just so happened that I lived a very sheltered life in Nigeria. So uh, my father was a lecturer. So we were in a, a staff quarters and then I was in boarding school. So the, the, the type of people I met was very, very different until when I came here and I then realized, oh, they're these type of Nigerians. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Say that you're an American and you've never been out of America. That's actually a good analogy. And then you find out, that, oh, there are several other countries out there with different languages and culture and behavior and experience. And that is actually a very good example. It's not being snobbish. That's what they say. That's why they say you're prisoners of your own background. But it was such a very sheltered life. It was secondary school, boarding school, um, staff quarters. So I, I hardly went out. I hardly went out to meet other people. It was only when I arrived in the UK that I, I felt like I was free uh, yeah i was free to interact with this person because yeah he, he might not be from my specific background but at least i like this person yeah, and you know and I, and I learned a lot so they probably influenced me more in terms of the yoruba culture more than anything else so did you take more pride in it after yeah, yeah, definitely i took more pride because it was something i was missing it was just something that i missed and they used to make fun of me because they always saw me as the english one so when i first arrived in this country when i go to a party a nigerian party and it was lots of nigerians in there and there were people speaking yoruba and pidgin i will be the one who's blowing the they call it blowing grammar speaking in english and they knew that there was something different about me and they used to make fun of me yeah it wasn't, it's, they didn't say I was a coconut, but it was more like, oh, he's from a different background. Yeah, he's Nigerian, but he doesn't behave like, you know, he's nah. cream and coconut. You know what I'm saying? You know, that, Right. Just, you were kind of an oddball in their world. But... Yeah, yeah. An oddball in their world. Who's this guy who's, who talks very English in this, in this setting? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. It sounds like you were like the, the interesting novelty in the beginning. Thinking about it, that's, where, that's probably where the comedy started, actually. Because I'm just people would always want to hang out with me. Oh, it's, it's Ben coming, it's Ben coming. Because obviously, I didn't know at the time that we're, I was the butt of the jokes. Because obviously, I just couldn't believe that, yeah, there's a Nigerian who can't speak the language properly or write the language properly. Did that inspire you to use it more or make, it, make yeah, yeah, more yeah, of an yeah, effort? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always genuinely wanted to be part of that group of people because you know you know moving from from Nigeria meant that I had uprooted myself from the community that I knew and I was embracing a new community and embracing that new community meant that I had to not necessarily change who I was 
but at least adapt to their type of behavior. Yeah, exactly. Did your parents, when they spoke to you on the phone or online, did they notice a change in you? Oh, did you... definitely. They, they noticed the change. <laughs> How did they feel about that? I, uh, my mom in particular. So when I started speaking Pigeon English, um, because she comes from the environment where they speak, you know, there's Pigeon English and there's Pigeon English. There's a way to speak the Pigeon English. And I was speaking it almost like a foreigner learning how to speak Pigeon English. And so when I had a chat with her, she was just literally laughing her head off because she's still, oh yeah, you finally had the chance to speak in English, but you're not saying it properly, you know? So yeah, it was, but I, I'm glad I did that actually. That's why, for example, there are um, comedy nights in the UK where they do Pigeon English or where Nigerians are asked to come and Nigerian comics are asked to come and perform. Mm -hmm. They usually perform in Pigeon. I can't do it. I just can't. It, it, it'll be so horrific for me to do it in Pigeon. <laughs> horrific for yourself in terms of like just I being nervous? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, for myself and also just the fact that the audience, I, I tried it once and the audience were like, who's this guy? <laughs> I died. <laughs> <laughs> of all the languages you speak, which one do you think is the most egalitarian? What do you mean? Because some languages, like um, Japanese and Korean in particular, the other person's status is always on your mind. Yeah. In terms of how you ask a question, how you reply to a request, it's always your language shifts depending on if this person is higher in rank to you or lower. Okay. okay. So certainly when I was in Nigeria and when I was speaking English in Nigeria, there wasn't any status. There was no difference in terms of who spoke what. Um, obviously, you, I wouldn't say Nigeria had a class system. It's either you were uh, rich or poor. But in the Yoruba setting, because of the culture, because there are people, for example, who, because it was part of the culture, so there are some people who eventually become chief. They give them chiefs titles, like a title. Like mm -hmm. it's almost like saying you're a lord or, or you're a sar. So you address mm -hmm. those people differently compared to just an ordinary person. Yeah. But that wasn't based on the language. That was more based on the culture of the area that you, you grew up in. You have kids, right? Yeah. Have you raised them to be bilingual? No. Was that ever, did you ever consider it or? Never did. There was never a discussion? That, it never ever crossed my mind. I regret it. They, they have Yoruba names though. They have Yoruba names. Why do you um, regret it? I think it's really important that you can speak as many languages as possible because it's such a global world now. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about you speaking Yoruba. If you can, it, I see that as an asset, mm -hmm. you know, gone are the days when, okay, fine. Let's use Britain as an example where they've decided, oh, we're getting out of Europe. But in those days before Brexit, they always pushed for you to be able to speak German or, or, or French. Can you imagine if you had those abilities and you could do that? It just opens the market for you. It just, it's, it's just, it, yeah. And I think it's going to go back that way, basically. So if you could speak Yoruba, if you could speak Aousa, it helps you. Then you're called, I think you're called a true Nigerian when you can speak those languages. Um, you said you ran into a, a white person who could speak Yoruba and interrupted your conversation. And yeah. would you like that to happen more often? I've never really given it any thought, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just really surprising when other people can, because I think that's what breaks down all this um, uh, nationalism that we, we're experiencing at the moment. I think people tend to, there, there are even white comics who, who do comedy in Pigeon. Yeah, yeah, because they grew up there, so they know the language and it's, it's a big, it's a big market. So I, I think it's a great way of just breaking those barriers and educating people about other cultures. So yeah, it's a good thing. Is there an idiom or an expression 
that you particularly like in Yoruba? Oh, there's several. There are quite a few. Um, Otio, Wahala. You might hear Wahala, which means trouble. Mm-hmm. And you, you would hear musicians when they're singing that, when maybe when they're singing their songs, they would use Wahala. Wahala means trouble. Trouble, trouble. trouble ahead. Trouble ahead. Do you like the way it sounds or is it just because it just shows like up in music? I just, like, I just like the way it sounds. And, um, but I've never, ever given any thought. It's just these are just common things that the people say that you, you get accustomed to. And people would yeah. say that like in, a, like in a conversation or is it just in music? Yeah. Someone would say it, that. It, it, yeah, it might just be in a conversation. Or maybe, maybe I'm calling someone on a Sunday and maybe I haven't spoken to them for a while. They've got a problem and he says, oh, uh, spring, guess what? Uh, voila. Uh. <laughs> and that, it, it's a way of breaking the conversation and it's a way of managing that expectation to say, oh, look, I've got a problem. I've got to tell you what's happening. Yeah. So whoever's receiving that phone call then knows that, yes, there's, there was the problem. Let's prepare ourselves, that sort of thing. And you said that, uh, you know, your mom said that your, your pidgin English was like a foreigner learning it. Did you ever accidentally say something that you didn't mean to say or it came out different and had a double it meaning? Just, it just didn't sound, how, how would I, the best way to describe it, it just didn't sound right. It's just like um, a French person trying mm-hmm. to speak English or an Italian person trying to speak English. That's right. the best way. To yeah, exactly. So it's not like I said anything wrong. I think it was more about the accent and the way it, it came, uh, the way it came across, because there's a certain way of pronouncing these words. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sounds foreign. Uh, do you use any language apps? Uh, no, no, no. And you n- never considered studying another language on top of the ones you already know? Uh, no, there hasn't. Well, I probably would have wanted to study French and German, but that was many, many years ago. I was really attracted. I wanted to speak that those two languages because of the, the business opportunities. Right. And can, can you imagine if you were able to speak, I don't know what the French market, comedy market is like, but can you imagine? But that wasn't the reason I wanted to do that at the time, but uh, there was a time I wanted to go into business. And I was thinking, oh, French and German would be languages that you should learn to speak because that's going to be great. I have Nigerian friends who speak German. I actually, I just remembered uh, attending that. And this is one of the reasons why it's important. You learn, try to learn as many languages as you can. I hosted a, a, a wedding in Germany about three, four years ago. And it was between a Nigerian family and a German family. I pulled it off, but I had to learn some of the, <laughs> the silly German language. It was just so like the way they talk. You know, they, they, it's very forceful. So I had to copy that. I wish I could speak the language because I think I would have done a better job. Have you considered studying it now? No, but who knows? With all this window of opportunity at the moment with <laughs> no gigs, who knows? Uh, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of time for stuff. To I think if I was going to study any language now, it would be, yeah, I think it's still going to be those two, basically, yeah. Is there anything you want monolinguists to know in particular? Uh, I guess that there are several languages out there. I don't know. I, I, are you are you a monolinguist? No, I, I speak Japanese fluently. For me, I think it's just, it, I think it's very rich for someone to be able to speak other languages. I think it just gives you a lot of confidence. I know there are people who speak several languages, not just German, French or Yoruba. They just, that's what they do. And that's got to be a good thing. For, for example, all those um, interpreters or translators at uh, United Nations meetings and when yeah. people are speaking, yeah, Arabic, you know, you, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's just a lovely skill to have to be able to speak 
several languages. And yeah. I think you're employable as well. If one country is messed up as it is at the moment, move to another country. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you mentioned that you spoke English at home and, and you spoke uh, English at school. So mm. when did the Yoruba come in? Yoruba came in in 19, probably 1987, when I arrived in 1987. Okay. So when I started making friends at school mm-hmm. and meeting Nigerians that I hadn't met in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and that's when I, I, I had no choice. I, I, I had to fit in. I didn't want to be seen as the English boy, not for too long. You know? Oh, right, yeah. right. And yeah. how old were you at the time? Oh, I was 19. At 19, you started learning it in earnest, but you'd obviously you'd heard it in Nigeria growing up yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. West. I heard it in Nigeria, but I, want, I, wanted to, I wanted to do it properly. And I also, um, why I didn't mention was that we were uh, live, I, I can't remember what age I was then. I thought there was about 15 or so or 16 when my father said we were moving from Lagos to go to a place called Akure in Nigeria. It's the western part of Nigeria, so it's like a village. Mm-hmm. Yoruba village in Nigeria, and he decided he was retiring and he was going to run his business from uh, Akure. That was really an eye opener because, yeah, I, I made friends and that was fine, but they knew that, oh, this guy is from Lagos, but not just Lagos. Uh, he was in England, I was raised in England. Um, he speaks differently. Yeah. So, once again, I went through that. That, that was the beginning of the Yoruba influence, mm. you know, understanding the culture because I was living in the village. The Akure, um, it's a town actually, uh, but you could see all the Yoruba history. That was the very first time actually that I left Lagos and went to Akure. Have you ever heard of the term third culture kid? No. A third culture kid is someone who spent the majority of their developing years in a second country or culture. I would consider you um, a third culture kid. Okay. Have you met anyone else from Nigeria similar to you? in terms yes. of being brought up mostly in English and with a, with a British educational background. Have, have you met other people similar? Yeah, certainly the secondary school I went to, we meet on a regular basis. We have a, an old boys association. So mm-hmm. I try to attend those meetings. So that's how we keep in touch. And there, there are several other networks as well. Mm-hmm. So that, but if I was being, um, I think at ba- mm-hmm. being based in mm-hmm. Akure really opened my eyes about you know, embracing other parts of you, if that makes sense. So yeah. rather than restrict yourself to that particular network, there are other networks as well that you need to expose yourself to because that's all part of life and development. That's what happened. And if you could give yourself advice when you were 18, 18, 19, if you could go back and talk to yourself at that age, what, what advice would you give to yourself? Uh, certainly, uh, uh, learning, learning the Yoruba language would be, would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also just learning the learning from the mistakes. I certainly think that it would be nice to have had my children speak Yoruba because mm-hmm. I know a friend who uh, wasn't from my setting but who insisted that his children spoke Yoruba in, in England. Mm-hmm. And so he thought that we used to send them to school to uh, a Yoruba evening class to teach them Yoruba. So those are sort of things. What would you say at the age of 18, you're having a plan of what you want to do in 10 years' time? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was playful at 18. Um, yeah, very playful at 18. But I'm, and you're only prisoners of your own background. You know, if, if I didn't leave the UK, I mean, leave Nigeria to come to the UK, maybe eventually it would have happened. 
but maybe mm. it would have happened later once I'd left. As soon as I left, if I'd gone to university in Nigeria, mm-hmm. I think it would be different. I would have been shocked by what I, what I experienced and that would have had an influence. Well, I think we're down to our last two questions. Ooh, this feels like, like a job interview. I, hope, I know. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I get the results. I get the results I want and not, not that you're going to send it to the government and they're going to downgrade it. <laughs> you're, you're doing just fine. A's all the way. A's all the way. A's so we've, we've, got, we've got two more questions. The next last question is, uh, what language is spoken in heaven? That is, that is deep. What language is spoken in heaven? I would say that, because um, I've dabbled with religion, that you could say that the language that's spoken in heaven is tongue. They speak in tongues. I would, some people would say that perhaps they speak in English. And I think that's just arrogance. Because <laughs> <laughs> why should English be the official language in heaven? I would say that it's a case of people speaking in, in tongues. That would mm-hmm. be the language. But that's if you're a religious person. Right. But if you're not a religious person and if you're an atheist, I would say no language is spoken. Do you think people would, how would you communicate with another person? In you the you just communicate. It, it, will be, it, it will be a spiritual thing. Mm. But you, you don't have to speak. You just, you, you just know. You, you connect. You connect with people and you talk to people in your own language, if that makes sense. But, you know, right. in a language that doesn't, because language away from heaven <laughs> is like what i don't seem to understand is why some languages want to dominate other languages if that makes sense why does everybody have to speak english to trade sure yeah why can't you chinese and that sort of thing and and what language do people speak in hell Ooh, if it exists what language do they speak in hell probably probably just be screaming wouldn't they <laughs> <laughs> But maybe they'll just be making noises. <laughs> they'll just be in pain. Yeah, yeah, in pain, yeah. That's really interesting because I didn't have a problem. I could answer the, the question about heaven, but the one about hell, wow, it's weird. They won't be speaking any language. Would they be speaking any language? I don't know. If we're led to believe what hell is like, you know, they're mm. just burning and screaming. You know, there's no language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. That's very possible. Thank you so much for doing this. This is amazing. I found I found it useful. There's certain things that you you've, uh, especially in terms of comedy material, oh. in terms of my influences, things I don't talk about mm-hmm. with with the Obanja character. Yeah. But in terms of but, but in terms of when I spent time in England and in Nigeria and then coming back here, and the influences, those journeys, there there's so many funny things that happened throughout that period of that change from. So it was five years in, 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 in Liverpool and then moving to the UK and then moving to Nigeria and then spending 15 years there and then coming to the UK. I don't, I don't talk about those things, uh, but you, some of the questions have prompted me. Because I, I, I would be really interested in, in hearing about that. There's actually quite a large uh, third culture kid community that would really appreciate your experience and, and what you have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, and what, what? Why do you call them third culture kid again? Because they don't feel at home a hundred percent in one culture than the other, and so mm-hmm. when they're interacting with someone who hasn't been outside of one culture, they feel yeah. kind of displaced, and so they're kind of, kind of in the middle. Okay, 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. So they, you could all, almost call them like an international person. They, they're, they're forced to, to identify with the nation, but really, maybe that's why I created Laughter Republic. It's very possible. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you so much.